Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. I'm Mark Rutland. I'm in the middle of a series. If you've missed the first couple, I want you to go to archives. I hope you will. Go to the archives, listen to the other two, and get into this series. This may be one of the most important series that I've ever taught. I'm teaching a series on the healing of damaged emotions. It's based in a large part, not entirely, but it's based in a large part on my best-selling book, Courage to Be Healed. At the end of the broadcast, you're going to get information about how you can receive Courage to Be Healed or how you can get it to people that would benefit from it. I hope that you will. If you haven't read Courage to Be Healed, I urge you to read it. I urge you to get it to those people in your life that you know need to get a fresh look at emotional healing. In 1927, the American League baseball season opened at Yankee Stadium. That day, the Yankees beat the living daylights out of the Philadelphia Athletics, and it was not only a big win, it was the first win of an unforgettable season. The power of the Yankees' batting lineup was so intimidating to opposing pitchers that it was nicknamed Murderer's Row. Let me, let me just give you a few statistics. The 1927 Yankees scored in a briefer season Then modern teams play. The 1927 Yankees scored 975 runs. The batters included Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. Babe Ruth hit 60 home runs that year. Lou Gehrig hit 47. The team batting average, the team batting average was 307. And the slugging percentage for the whole team was 489. In addition to the team's awesome power at the plate, the 1927 Yankees stole so many bases that they dreaded getting one of the Yankees' runners even to first, let alone home runs. The Yankees' murderer's row lineup was one of the most celebrated in sports history. But I want to talk to you about another murderer's row. It is a lineup so intimidating, so utterly terrifying, that it leaves emotional devastation in its wake. The core of this heartless lineup is so strong that its victims are battered into submission just like the Philadelphia Athletics were on opening day in 1927. Many a pitcher has gone to the mound with high hopes for his life and her life, ready to win at any cost, ready to have a a life of joy and victory and peace only to be pounded into despair by Murderer's Row. This is the Murderer's Row that I want to expose and bring healing from in this series on the Leader's Notebook, and it is the Murderer's Row that I deal with in even greater detail in my book, Courage to be Healed. The lineup, this satanic lineup of five powerful hitters that have one purpose— to destroy the mind, thoughts, conscience, happiness, to steal, kill, and destroy everything that will make anyone who comes against them happy and successful in life. So 
Here's your question. Who are the murderers row? Who are these five horrible opponents that want to batter us into submission? And here they are. The big five. Shame, unforgiveness, rejection, condemnation, and fear. I'm going to go through them one more time. I want you to hear this. If you're taking any notes, why don't you write them down? Shame, unforgiveness, condemnation, rejection, and fear. Put them in any order you want, but those are the big five. I believe that Jesus of Nazareth, the wonderful counselor, wants us healed of these. Now, let me just make a statement here that may shock some, and it may be that at first your impulse is to disagree with it, but would you just listen and think through it? And that is to say, salvation, receiving Christ as Savior, your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, forgiveness of sins, eternal life promised, may not heal all of us who have received that from all of these five toxic rivers. I believe that there are people who love Jesus. They are saved. They're born again. If they if they died, they would go to heaven, but they continue to struggle with these toxins of shame and, and rejection and fear, crippling toxins. And as a result of a misapprehension that no real Christian can have these things in their lives, they just keep going back to the altar. They, they rededicate their life to Christ until their rededicator is worn out. They lose hope just thinking, I, I can't be a Christian and have shame in my life. I, I cannot possibly be a Christian and be struggling with this, with this unforgiveness. But salvation is not the end of all the promise of a life abundant. It's the beginning. Jesus says, I came that you might have life, yes, and that more abundant. We cannot move forward from the gift of eternal life through salvation into the abundant life that God wants for us while our life is, is being tortured by toxic rivers flowing into us, out of us, and out over lives around us. Rivers like shame and unforgiveness and rejection, condemnation and fear. These rivers are toxic. They poison us and they flow up out of us across the lives of people around us. There's many a child whose life is being poisoned because of the poison flowing out of their parents. There's many a wife whose life is being poisoned because of the poison, the toxin that's flowing out of her husband and vice versa. So what does the life abundant look like? What does it look like if a toxic life is shame, unforgiveness, rejection, condemnation, and fear? What does God want for us instead of that? Instead of shame over the things that have happened to us, that we've done, or that have been done to us, God wants us to be able to integrate life, to bring all of the wounded pieces together so that we can truly say that passage of Scripture, it's quoted, it's quoted all the time. I suspect that every one of you listening to me today has heard it and maybe memorized it and quoted it. All things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to His purpose. 
Now, the issue is not whether that's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. The issue is not whether it's true or not. The issue is whether or not we really believe it. All things. Think about that. All things. What about the most shameful thing that was ever done to me or that I ever did? How can that work together unless it is together? In other words, the goal that God wants for us is a life that is integrated. If our life is not integrated, it begins to disintegrate. The integration of life brings together all of the pieces, those that are good and joyful and positive and those that are riddled with shame and hurt, and somehow or another brings them together into an integrated whole. The second thing God wants for us is a life of mercy. He doesn't want us to be riddled with a sense of unforgiveness for ourselves or unforgiveness toward others. Jesus said it over and over and over again. If you will forgive, your Father who is in heaven will forgive you. If you won't forgive, you cannot be forgiven. And it leaves life with a, with a razor-sharp edge of mercilessness that refuses to, to extend mercy to others around us. A second part, then, of what God wants for us after integration, first to integrate our life, the second is that our life would be filled with mercy. The third that he wants for us is acceptance. He wants us to be to know that we are accepted. This is right straight from the book of Ephesians. You are accepted in the beloved. God wants us to know that we are accepted and God is not fooled. If we are accepted, then it must mean that he has decided we are acceptable. If you are acceptable and you are accepted by God, what force, what negative toxic power in the world could reject you? The fourth of the great blessings that God wants for us is balance. He wants us to be able to deal with life, having the right perspective, having balance. You've heard it say, said before, you know you have. Let's talk about someone who's struggling with emotional damage and they say, oh, she's very unbalanced. God wants us to be balanced. And the fifth is hope. God does not want us to live in fear and anxiety about the future. He wants us to live in hope. So listen to the murderer's row. Here they are, shame, unforgiveness, rejection, condemnation, and fear. God wants instead of that, he wants integration, mercy, acceptance, balance, and hope. So where there was shame, he wants integration. Where there was unforgiveness, he wants mercy. Where there was rejection, he wants acceptance. Where there was condemnation, he wants balance. Where there was fear, God wants us to have hope. Now, that's the life that God has for us, and he wants to get us there. But life and the toxicity of the community, the culture, and the, maybe the family upbringing and maybe uh, tragic things that happen in life, they chip away at that beautiful life of integration, mercy, acceptance, balance, and hope until we need to find the process to get back. So how do we move from shame to integration? How do we make the transition from unforgiveness to mercy or from rejection 
to acceptance. Oh, that's a huge one. That is a huge one. Or from condemnation to balance. How do we move from a life that is crippled and shrunk by fear to a life that is open and filled with hope? In the next few weeks, I'm going to be dealing one by one with how do we defeat murderer's row with the power and grace of God and with courage to be healed and move into the column of God's blessing of abundant life. God doesn't want us to live our lives filled with shame, unforgiveness, rejection, condemnation, and fear. That's that's the murderer's row. That's not what God wants for us. What he wants for us is a life that's all together, all the pieces, the, the ragged pieces and the whole pieces all fit together in a beautiful picture. He wants us to have a life of mercy, mercy for us and for others. He wants us to know we are accepted. We need to have a life of balance and hope. That's what God wants for us, to defeat the murderer's row and to move us into the life abundant. I hope that you will be in every single podcast the next few weeks as we deal with each of these. I'm going to give you some very moving and powerful examples of people who found the courage to defeat murderer's row. I want you to hear these stories of real people who said, all right, I'm not going to live the rest of my life filled with shame. I've got to find the abundant life. God has to be able to integrate all the fractured pieces of my life. You're going to be inspired. You're going to want to share those stories with others. And I'm praying that it will give you courage as well. Remember, when it comes to emotional healing, faith is not the primary variable. It's courage. The courage to face who we are and what we've become and and to believe that in the presence of God, I can enter into the process of healing. Here's the fundamental truth. God wants you well. God bless you, my friend. This is Mark Rutland. Thank you for listening to The Leader's Notebook. Now stay tuned for information about how you can receive this powerful book, Courage to Be Healed, and that you can get it to those you love. God bless you. To order a copy of Courage to be Healed for yourself or someone you love, please visit the store at drmarkrutland.com. Enter the promo code COURAGE for 30% off. To order by the case, please call us at 888-823-8772. Thank you for listening to The Leader's Notebook.